This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Well, hello and welcome to the Better Reading Podcast. My name is Caroline Overington and I'm standing in for the remarkable Cheryl Arkell, who is abroad, seeking out international authors, I believe, to bring to us. But today it's all about Australian fiction and my guest is Fiona Lowe. Now, Fiona, I was, well, welcome, firstly. Thank you. You've come here today from? Geelong. From Geelong. And what brings you to town besides the podcast? Oh, I've come up for the um, Romance Writers of Australia's conference. My novel, Daughter of Mine, has been nominated for the Ruby Award, so I thought I'd come to the dinner. And well, why not? And tell me, what is it? Well, tell our listeners, what is the Ruby Award? It's prestigious, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Romance Writers of Australia's Award for Published Fiction, and Ruby stands for Romantic Book of the Year. I think they just snuck in the U there to make it um, a word. Right. <laughs> and it's uh, yes, it's it's four categories, long and short, and uh, my book's been nominated in the Romantic Elements category. Okay, and. Are you a a romance writer? Is that how you describe yourself? I started off my career as a romance author um, and I wrote 26 uh, romance fiction novels uh, and then I branched out a few years ago and started writing more um, mainstream fiction, but there is normally a relationship in those books. Well, the one we're going to be talking about today, Home Fires... Not not just a relationship, pretty hot and heavy. <laughs> it's pretty good going. This book. Oh, did you think it had? Did you think it was a bit hot and heavy? Did you? I didn't think it was. But. <laughs> well, actually, in the in the first few pages, when your protagonist and and her partner get together quite uh, yes. early, and yeah, that's that they, was they true. Do, they do push back from each other, don't they? They so. do. No, that's very true. They did. All right. Now, I was having a look at your um, biography online, and I'd like to. Um, help our readers understand a little bit more about you, if that's okay. So it says here that you have been a midwife, a sexual health counsellor and a family support worker. Correct. Can you talk us through those things? Uh, sure. I um, Let's start with midwife. Oh, uh, well, I did nursing and then I went overseas for a year and I came back and decided that I wanted to do midwifery. So I did that as postgraduate studies and I loved delivering babies, but I had decided that I was completely over shift work and um, I, I didn't want to hang around for another five or six years getting enough experience to be able to work independently in a birth centre. 
So, so for how long did you do it, Fiona? I did, well, I did for three years. So then I went back to, and to uni and did um, more graduate studies in community health and I worked in a community health centre for a lot of years in women's health. So I did everything from running um, well women's clinics, doing the pap tests and the breast checks and um, su- support working. I worked with a lot of homeless people. I worked with young teenagers with um, babies. Um, I did antenatal and postnatal stuff. I did just about in a th- everything. And is that what was the interest in women's health in particular? Oh, probably because, you know, I came up, well, I'm a woman and and, uh, our reproductive system lays us open to all sorts of um, extra health things that men don't deal with and, uh, you know, childbirth is becoming parents is a huge change in a woman's life Uh, but also we worked at the other end of the spectrum too, menopause, so um, I enjoy working with women but that said I also worked with um, men and then after I had my first child um, I became an online sexual health counsellor for young girls. So it started off as a company that um, makes tampons and pads decided they'd have this website and they'd have someone to ask questions and um, they didn't have anyone. And I had just got home from overseas and I got a call from my previous employer saying, there's this job. And it started off as like two hours a week and ended up being about 35. And and it's girls and calling it was girls. in. And, and across the 15 years that I did that, um, there are, I, there's nothing about a teenage girl that I don't know and there's about 25 topics that obsess that they obsess about. Can you give and us some of them? that doesn't change. Oh, you know, are my boobs too big, too small? There's all stuff about periods or that. Um, eating disorders, body image, everything. And then the, then what I did notice over the period of time that I did it, there was a rise in self-harm. There was a rise in the age of drinking. Uh, sorry, well, they were getting younger. Getting younger, drinking. right. And, um, uh, as I, as I stopped, the social media stuff was only just starting to come into play. So there's an awful lot of things that teenage girls are dealing with. And so they had a safe space and they could ask questions and uh, and I answered them. And what is your view of young girls and social media? Well, I haven't been working I'm I haven't been working in the field for five or six years now, so I only know from what I see. I actually have sons, so <laughs> see their girlfriends. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of this this a lot of pressure to um, with being connected all the time. But I, I actually think it's not just young girls. I think it's right across the entire community. Um, and did you find with the rise of online doing that that they, that um, pornography online had had an influence? Oh, yes. I used to get some – I mean, you always knew that they'd been watching porn. In fact, the very first question I ever got on the first day of the job was, can you have sex with a dog? And you just knew oh, that they Fiona. had been watching something – Online that they shouldn't have seen, and so I also oh, spent a lot of stuff girl. doing doing um, uh, things. Uh, I did um, uh, primary school um, sex ed, and I always run parent nights before I did I did that. And my big thing, you know, even ten years ago, was you wouldn't walk out the door leaving your child at home with all the doors and the windows open, and that's what you're doing if you're leaving them with unfettered access to the internet. Oh my goodness, that's such a good way of putting it. So they can just see everything 
And all that stuff you think you're protecting them from, you're not, because the world is in our house now. And I was a complete Nazi with my children about this. Were you really? Absolutely. But you know, even then, they're 20 and 24 now. And I look now and think, well, we really didn't have a problem saying you had to be 16 before you had a phone. And with my eldest, smartphones really only were, with all the apps and everything, were only coming into him when he was about 17. Right. And the younger one, it was a little different. But now, you know, girls in grade five and six are putting pressure on parents then to have the phone. And it, it's a lot harder con- to, to control. Control, because the phone is the internet. Mm. And so. Whereas my boys, right. it had to be, connected into the back of a computer and and we didn't have wi-fi until they were old enough i said no you have to be on the computer plugged in in a central space where we can see you you've got to know what they're doing and what is a family support worker okay so i um well it depends it is what it is so i used to people would refer themselves to the community health center so they may need um they Anything from healthcare advice to uh, financial support, all sorts of things. Sometimes it was um, isolated women with children and people who'd moved in the area. I did a lot of stuff with um, uh, um, uh, refugees. So it's looking at how you are surviving, what resources you can put into the family so and um, so that they can become more connected in the community. So it's a really a holistic... Being a community health nurse, you are a jack of all trades. Are you? you do all sorts of things. I remember one once going to a family where the school were completely desperate because these kids hadn't been able to come back to school because they could not eradicate the head lice and the family was a, a family in chaos. And so we went in. And we did it. We you washed it. their hair. Okay. We got the thing. We laundered it. Like we assisted her to do all this. Right. But I actually pulled the nits out of the hair and, must have and been laundered incredibly everything rewarding. so that we yeah. could get the kids back, back to, to school. school. Yeah. That must have been incredibly yeah. rewarding. Yeah. And all of this work that you've done from midwifery through sexual health counselling with young girls and, and that kind of support work in the family really informs... Your writing now, your novels are about families and relationships. It is. I've met a lot of families. And I've met a lot of families through to incredibly dysfunctional, through to very functional, but operating with, you know, major health um, issues. And, I mean, in Daughter of Mine, um, I I wrote a family with a child with a severe disability. And, um, you know, most of the stuff I've channeled, I've come across something. Or I've experienced it myself. <laughs> right. And, and that's, that's obviously very challenging. Yeah. So is the writing a kind of catharsis for you or is it a manner of processing it? No, or? I think it's a manner of processing. I mean, I write about, I write about everyday people dealing with challenging situations. And, um, I, I always operate off the basis that I know what the character believes about themselves and what a character, what anyone can believe about themselves is often incorrect doesn't have to be. In fact, most of us believe stuff about ourselves that is incorrect. But because we believe it... Expand on that a little bit. What do you mean? Oh, well, for instance, a lot of people with, say, a body image issue, you know, we a stranger would think they looked perfectly fine, but they look in the mirror and they see that their nose is too big or their belly's too... or whatever. Or someone... So that drives their behaviour. What you believe about yourself affects how you act and what you say and what you do in every situation. If you believe negative things about yourself, yeah, absolutely. then you can foster a kind of negative mm. atmosphere in mm. your own life yeah, that's because right. of these misplaced beliefs. And, and so with those beliefs in place, 
they they affect every way you react to every situation, whether it be positive or negative. Now, the new book that you've written, Home Fires, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the, there was a time not so long ago where, you know, people resisted writing Australian stories. You know, if they wanted to have enormous success overseas, they tried to make them a bit vague about where the story was being told. This is unapologetically Australian, isn't it? It is. I'm, I have set six books, six single title romances in America. I've had my go in America. And and, and how did you go? Uh, well, I went fair. <laughs> well, and what, but, you're, I mean, you're a huge seller. Um, for those um, of you who are listening to, um, to the Better Readings podcast, it's Fiona Lowe, and she is, in fact, although she's being a little uh, shy about it, one of Australia's best-selling writers, 30 books and 26 of those, you said, romances? That's right. And... A really big seller in the states. Well, not not in my in my single titles were not massively big, and I um, so I wrote four books for Harlequin single title, and then I had a two book deal. Explain with what you mean by that single a title. Single t- well, so romance is like a box of chocolates. There's all sorts of different romances, and there's what the category romances, which is a Mills and Boone, and they're the small books. They're fifty thousand words, and they're color coordinated that tell people what sort of themes they are. So I wrote medical romances because. When I started writing, um, they said, write what you know. Well, I was a nurse, so. Right. And what's a medical romance? Well, you know, think about um, the flying doctors. Think about the current Channel 9 show, Doctor, Doctor. You know, it's, <laughs> Okay. It's, I'm happy to think about him. <laughs> exactly. He's very handsome. Exactly. So it normally features um, two medical personnel. Normally one of them's a doctor. I generally write both doctors, male and female. Or it could be, you know, people write fireys, they write vets, but there's normally someone who's in the medical profession and it's just their their um, story about how they meet and the conflicts that keep them apart and how they, across the course of the 50,000 words, which is about... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 280 pages, I think. Um... Uh, resolve the issues and end up together with an with an absolute guaranteed happy ending. So they're very condensed. They're they're very. Uh, it's a spotlight on that one relationship. So there's no room for a cast of characters or anything like that. So I started off writing that, and then in 2010, I wanted to flex other writing muscles, and I wanted to um, try uh, breaking into the U.S. market in a diff- in a bigger book. 
where I could have secondary characters. And we had lived in America for three years. And why was that? And because, who's we? Uh, my husband, my family. My was actually was just my husband and I and then, then the baby. And we lived in Wisconsin in the Midwest where it got down to minus 40 in winter. Did you say minus 40, four zero? Yes. Whoa. Correct. So is that snow up to the hip really? Uh, it totally is, okay. yeah. And, um, and so, a baby in those conditions. And a baby, okay. yes. And what, what took you there? He worked in IT and um, he had um, an, some knee surgery and he was in bed recuperating and he read the paper and he said, oh, there's this job in America and he rang up about it and three and a half weeks later we were there. That's extraordinary. <laughs> you have a sense of adventure. And that's where you decided to give the American market a go. That was, no, I, we'd come home after that. Okay. So I hadn't, I was, hadn't got published. I was, I was still trying to break in. So I wrote this book with an Australian character. It was called Boomerang Bride. And I set, I made. Boomerang Bride. Bride and that's I made, a great title. And I made Matilda. Australian and everybody else was American. So, and, and that went on to win the, um, the Rita, which is the Romance Writers of America's most prestigious award. And I wrote three other. This wedding is what books. you describe as fair success, winning <laughs> the most prestigious. Romance Writers Award in the United States. Well, I was talking about... Are you about a little bashful, Fiona? I was talking about financial success, actually. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> not creative you, success. Can you win a big prize like that and still not have financial success? Absolutely. You can. You Interesting. can. Because I, actually that's an industry award. Readers are not necessarily overwhelmed by that, I don't think. So anyway, I slogged away and then I sold a two-book deal to Penguin Random House. And the first book did really well. And the second book was in the middle of their um, massive restructure. And my editor went and they didn't get the book out of the warehouse particularly well. And then they said, you didn't sell many. Right. Okay. And by then I was like, oh, heavens above. So I do I reinvent myself again? And I was weary of constantly – we speak English, both countries, but Americans speak differently. And so to write a book set in America, you have to speak American and the family would say, you know, you change, your words actually change when you're writing these books. You know, I'd start to talk about cookies and we were having <laughs> supper and all that sort of stuff. And I just wanted to write an Australian book. I just wanted to write something not only Australian but in my own back garden. In and your own that's garden. when I and wrote Daughter of Mine. Okay, but but on home fires, that's very Australian too. Oh yes, and and then I wrote Birthright, and which is very Australian. That was set in the high country, and then home fires I set in the Otways, which is also just down the road from where I live. Now, um, home fires is the book that um, we're here to talk about, so we better do it. I want you to do, to give me what's the elevator pitch for it. So when you're telling, when people say to you, "What's your book about?" What do you say? It's 18 months after a bushfire raised a small town and the um, the bushfire relief's been through. They've got all these beautiful shiny buildings and everyone said, you're good to go now, but they're not good to go. Of course they're all. not. Of course they're So not. they have no economy and um, they, they, all these new buildings have actually saddled them with a massive debt for the Shire and they've got 50% less population that they had. They've either people died or they didn't return because they couldn't face it. And so for women... And there's women, trauma. There's absolute the trauma, yeah, trauma in the town. And, um, and people are getting on. Uh, and for women are sort of forced together that wouldn't not for women that wouldn't normally have ever come together are forced together to try and do something to put Myrtle on the map to sort of bring in some tourism to try and you know kickstart the economy but they all have their own story and the thing about 
trauma is we can all experience a bushfire or a flood, but everyone's experience is going to be very different. And their reactions to other people's experiences is a key part of the book too. Absolutely. So no one experiences the same thing. And so what I did with the women is someone was in town on the day that it burnt, someone's partner was there once someone was out of town um, and could see what was going on. So they've all experienced it quite differently and and they the results of the bushfire have impacted them in different ways. So, you know, some have lost a house, some were fine, they didn't lose a house, other things happened to them. And that um, concept of a bushfire, I, I was thinking that when I was reading it, that's how we all experience it, isn't it? Either we've We've been close to one ourselves. We've seen the, the black clouds rolling over the horizon. We've been in those towns or we've watched from afar via the ABC radio mm. and, and, and listened with our, our hearts in our mouths. There's that sense of, um, it's a truly Australian experience, isn't it? it the bonding is. we have. Yeah. And um, so what bushfires did you have in mind? Well, um, quite a few. So well, I was a student nurse, um, in the early eighties for, um, um, Ash Wednesday, and I was actually out on placement, uh, community placement, and um, and at GMH, and we got all the fires were coming in. We were irrigating their eyes and turning them around to go back out, and then a week later, I was rostered onto the burns unit, and then I nursed people who died. So that was pretty awful. And my sister's house. Well, they lost the block and half the house in that fire. And then... And just for listeners who perhaps aren't from Victoria, that was the fires that went through. Was it 1983? Yeah, three. 1983. Three. And well, and that well over 100 years. lives were lost. Yeah, that's correct. And then... Um, I've been caught in a burn. I've been actually bushwalking and caught in a burnout, a burn, you know, a controlled burn that's been, I'm perfectly safe, but was way too close for comfort for me. Could you hear it or feel yeah, it? Yeah, you could hear it. And so, um, and, and I, that was terrifying to me and I was technically safe, you know. Because of what you'd seen? Yeah. You knew and, how and they you could... knew, and I, but no, well, we, the fire, they'd lost control of the fire. So where we were was supposed to be safe and then we could see the flames. So we got out, but it was a bit, you know. And then in 20, 2009, which Black was Saturday. Black Saturday in Victoria, my son, eldest son was actually, um, his, his school has a campus in the high country and he was there and um the that was just ringed by fires and so that we were sort of are they going to be evacuated we and I was that was awful because we were a long way away so that was the heart in the mouth and then of course you know the the cool change came and whipped around and we lost Marysville and we lost King Lake and they're two places I was very familiar with you were familiar with yeah and And then we had the fires just before Christmas in the Otways what was that 2000 and 16. And do you, when you see bushfire coming through, for example, King Lake, an entire town destroyed, um, and those Black Saturday fires, obviously many people died and many homes were destroyed. Do you, because of your background as a nurse and a community health worker, recognise immediately that these people will be traumatised whether they have survived or not? Absolutely, yeah, because of work. I I do know that. And I did quite a bit of research for home fires and I read some studies. Uh, So they've done quite a few studies um, post-trauma and they've discovered that men in particular have this condition called hypermasculinity after trauma. And so uh, that translates to a a real spike in domestic violence. 
And so even men and so violence in families was seen when families that had never been seen before. So it rose, it got worse in families where it had existed before the fires, but it appeared in families where it had never appeared before as and a that distress. Is- Anger and frustration yeah. and guilt. And it's, and, so, oh, and it's so hard because have you ever had to deal with bureaucracy even when you've nothing bad's happened to you? I mean, if you've ever tried to get a, a, a house, a planning permit, sometimes that can do you in and everything else in your life is fine. But if you've lost everything and then you've been hit with these new building regulations, which can add, if you're in the highest Area that can add one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars to your new house like that, and you can't find your passport or your birth certificate, and your neighbours have died, yeah. and the stock are starving, yeah, and exactly. It, it's just so there's all that stuff, and so um, recently the fire there was a big fire in Terang in Victoria went through, and you know Blaze Aid which came out of the the Black Saturday, and that's great. People can go in and they can build the fences and all that, but. It's very immediate support and it's very necessary, but the trauma is the long-term stuff after the media's left, after the spotlight's come away, um, and it takes years. And it's a fabulous foundation for the book Home Fires. I mean, I think there wouldn't be an Australian who wouldn't be able to, to react quite strongly to the material in that book and to understand a lot about it. Um, I'm interested as well in in the idea that you feel like you're expanding as a writer. Is that, was that an, an intentional? Yes, it was. I mean, I, I'm unapologetically, unapologetically, I started out life as a romance author and, and I'm very proud of that. And I couldn't write the relationships in these more mainstream fiction books without having had that background. But I wanted to um, stretch my horizons. I wanted to write about um, different things. I didn't. The thing about romance fiction is you generally have to. Um, it, well, it, it has to be a romance, and you must have a happy ending. They're the two things. You can do whatever you like between the covers, but you must end with a happy ending. And I, I started to not want to necessarily do that for everyone in my book. Some people have a hair. I like to think my books end with hope, but it's not necessarily a lay down Mazaire that they've walked off into the sunset. No, they don't have to end in each other's arms in the great embrace. You know, and the world's not like that. And, and even, you know, um, even in hope, it's still, you you can think, well, yeah, they, they'll, they'll probably get there. And that's what I wanted to be able to do. But even with that very, um, that very sophisticated storytelling about bushfires and that really keen insight into people's suffering, it is still a story about love. It is. Because, um, that's what drives human beings. Love drives us. It really does. We are wanting to make connections all the time. So, and I mean, I, it, it surprises me. People come through trauma or even they might have been through one or two divorces. They generally are still looking for someone. For love. <laughs> Fiona Lowe, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here for the Better Reading podcast. I'm thrilled with the new book, which is Home Fires. It's just about out, I believe. So we're all going to be looking for it on the shelves. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. 
or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot code SUPER24. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.